Well, as we consider and continue to consider the idea of Christian community, I have some good news for you. And I also have some bad news for you. But here's what's even more confusing about that. I think, in the end, the good news is only so-so, and the bad news may turn out to be the best bad news you've ever heard. Good news first. You, me, us, we are in a very safe place. Yes, we're doing things with security for the church and the preschool and other things, and those are all necessary, but you are in a very safe place. Simply, simply by choosing to come to church, to worship God together, even, even by talking with old friends or making new ones at the coffee hour in the light court, the very fact that you're in church means you are statistically very safe. Here's what I mean. 20% of all accidents and injuries that a person experiences happens while they're driving. It's not surprising, right? Almost another one in five of the accidents that we might encounter happen in our own backyards. One in five. But the chance that you'll be injured while worshiping God are about one in 200,000, insurance companies tell us. You're in a really safe place. But, but some people can find it unsettling to be here, not always feeling safe. I remember hearing a pastor, after having preached uh, and then lectured on preaching, told the story of having been a visiting preacher, which he did often in a congregation. But in that particular church, he was between services. He was at their coffee hour, and he was chatting with a few people. He saw a youngish woman. He thought she was probably at 20-something or so. She later said, yeah, I'm 28. He was chatting with her uh, between the services. And he said, oh, well, how long have you been a member here? And she said, not a member. And then she said something he actually had never heard before. She said, this is my first time in a church ever. Ever. Now you might be thinking, ah, that's probably an exaggeration, but I believe it. Sociologists tell us that approximately 50%, 5-0, of people under the age of 20 in our country, 50% have never been to church. You're saying can't be. I'm saying might be. Here's my anecdotal evidence. I've been here over 30 years as one of the pastors, so I've celebrated a lot of weddings, hundreds of weddings. I always get here maybe an hour or so before the service. Sometimes I um, have walked here. I've been out on Chestnut, out in front of the two buildings, the education building and our sanctuary, and I'll have a tie on, I don't have a robe on, but someone who's arrived early, and it's usually a young person, a 20-something, will say, oh, are you here for the wedding? And I'll say, well, yeah, sort of. And, and they'll say, oh, do you know um, where this service will be? And we're standing out on Chestnut looking at the buildings. And I say, I used to always say this. I've, this was 10, 15 times before I got smart. I said, oh, well, it's in the church, in the sanctuary. And then I've been asked 10 or 15 times, which one's the church? Now to me, having grown up, not just in this church, but around faith communities, it seems, at least to me, obvious what is the church, the sanctuary. But it wasn't to them. 
And they've always asked very politely because I'll end up saying, you know, it's in the sanctuary, the church, right? And they say, which one's the sanctuary? So I believe it when that 20-something woman said to the visiting pastor, this is the first time I've ever been to church. Well, wisely, he took this opportunity and said, well, what do you think? What do you think? And this is where the bad news comes in. She said, it's really scary. Scary. Not the first word that would ever come to my mind about being in church, but she said, it's really scary. She went on to say, because everything seems so important. She didn't say serious. She didn't say everything seems humorless. But everything seemed so important that it was kind of scary. Maybe church isn't such a safe place. And you know what? Maybe it's not supposed to be. Perhaps this community of faith that we call a family of faith is a place where we're called to be vulnerable with each other. Which, by the way, can be very scary. Maybe we're called to not simply put on a good face. And that can be scary, too. In fact, it can be unnerving to share how we still miss that loved one who's been gone for so many years. And it can be kind of scary to say we're worried about the spot on the MRI or the mammogram. It can be scary to say, I haven't seen our son in years. He's physically and emotionally very distant. You know, all of that vulnerability is really scary. And yet, and yet over time, sometimes communities of faith grow more comfortable with even the unnerving and scary parts. I mean, if you've been around for a couple of decades, I guess it's about 15 to 18 years, you'll have noticed we've grown more comfortable with that because when we started Joys and Concerns on Sunday mornings, right before the prayers, when we started Joys and Concerns for the first five or six weeks, we almost gave it up because the silence was deafening. No one ever said a thing. In the quiet moments, no one ever spoke a name of a person or place. But over the years, it's become clear that we're beginning to own the rather scary idea that a burden shared with a friend, a burden shared with a family of faith, is a burden that is slightly lifted. I mean, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul calls the church to do, to live into the Spirit of God in our midst by sharing one another's burdens. My friend put it another way, and I think it has something to do with what the Apostle Paul just wrote to us. And you can agree or disagree, but try this on for size. My friend says, no one can be a Christian. No one can be a Christian alone. No one can be a Christian alone. To be in Christian community is to recognize that ours is a religion of relationship. I mean, Catherine has mentioned to us that religion and ligament come from the same Latin root, and they mean to bind, to hold together. 
This is not a place we simply go to on Sunday mornings, but rather this is something we are. And when that young woman out in front, or those young people out in front of the church have said, which one's the church? I should have said, well, it's neither. It's, it's all of them. It's you. This church is something we are together. And we are connected by the ties that bind us. A psychologist lecturing to a group of pastors, I heard him at a senior pastor's conference once, talked about why she thought the church was so valuable. She said, I think the church is really valuable because despite the different theological perspectives, the different way we read or hear the Bible, the different political perspectives we have, she says the church is one of the last places left in society where we can learn to stand each other. Think about that. We can learn to stand each other. And then, with the Spirit, we learn to stand by each other. When each of us joined this church, we not only committed ourselves to seeking out God's justice and mercy in Jesus Christ, but we also committed ourselves to each other. And we spoke some remarkable words, and you heard the words I shared already that our new members will share at the second service. But each and every one of us, and the members representing you at the second service, will speak the covenant promise of old and new members. It's spoken together. Its original title is the Salem Church Covenant. It was written in 1629 by early Puritans. And the Salem Church Covenant is an attempt, and an imperfect attempt for sure, but still an attempt, to say how that Salem church might live together, might learn to stand one another, and also might learn to share one another's burdens. The covenant is an agreement made between peoples and before God. And in the Protestant tradition, we call living together as a family of faith our church covenant. So I'm going to ask you to take out your hymnals for a moment and turn to the back of your hymnal and to join me in proclaiming the covenant promise of old and new members. And by old, we mean long-tenured, not the chronologically gifted. So the covenant promise of old and new members. And it will begin with the words, it's about three quarters of the way down there, and it begins with, we covenant with the Lord. Will you read it with me? We covenant with the Lord and one with another, and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in all his ways, according as he is pleased to reveal himself unto us in his blessed word. to walk, to move together in all God's ways. I mean, for me, I'm going to be honest with you, that is one of the most important and meaningful phrases I know of in the ministry. To walk together imperfectly, but still to walk together in all God's ways. I mean, to me, it's this wonderful summation of what it means to be us. But it's also the very first line of that covenant that I want to draw to your attention as well. 
It begins, we covenant with the Lord and one with another. We covenant with God and with each other. And maybe you heard it, maybe you even saw it, but there is nothing in there grammatically, no comma, anything, to pause or slow down our speech or our thoughts. It reminds us that our relationship with God and our relationship with each other are inextricably entwined. We are bound by the ligament of love. We remember that one of the ways that we worship God is by honoring and caring for each other, by sharing and bearing each other's burdens. And you know what? Maybe that's why that young woman in the church, for the very first time, said that everything seemed so, so important that it was scary. Because to covenant with God and with each other, to share one another's burdens, is an audacious commitment. And it's a startling statement in a world where you and I are bombarded by the message to come and be a part of this club or this community or this gym. And if you do, if you come and be a part of us, it will be all about you. Many of the messages we hear say, join us and you'll be the center of attention. And maybe for some people, that is their vision of the perfect community, a place where it's all about me. But that would be an extremely peculiar message from the church. The Apostle Paul reminds us that a faith community is not about being number one, but rather it's about sharing one another's burdens. It's about reconciliation and forgiveness. It has to do with something, as Paul said, speaking the truth to each other in love. All of that is good news, but scary. Being part of a Christian community, being part of a family of faith, will never be about being number one, but it's about the joy of being one of a number. Which means that here, here we seek to listen to one another, while in other places we might ordinarily walk away. Here we share in the worries about your loved one. Here we shed a tear, tear with you in your grief. Here we too are spoddened, uh, saddened or worried about the spot on the MRI. These are burdens that maybe under different circumstances in different places we might not even consider bearing. But here, we do bear them because we are bound into the body of Christ. And you see, right? We stand in a great tradition where people of the Christ, which people of the Christian faith have known for centuries and we hope that young woman for the first time in church discovered as well that indeed something really important happens here. Something really significant happens when we lean into the future together. Something important happens when we decide not to worship ourselves, but rather to worship the God whose love and justice and mercy is made flesh in Christ. And I know, I get it. I mean, that's an extraordinarily lofty standard for a life together. One that we will never perfectly meet. Which means then that our work is far from finished. But the work, the joy of being one of a number,
is central, central to what we call our life together. May it be so. Amen.